Gordon, Gordon, Gordon just said to me that I have a half hour to get Bill back, so uh, I thought it'd be a little longer sermon, maybe 45 minutes or an hour. I want to direct your attention this morning to uh, a doctrine of our faith. It's, I think it's very valuable to occasionally um, focus in on a foundational doctrine of our faith. And this morning, what I want to talk about, actually what I feel led to talk about, is God's sovereignty, and specifically how clinging to this doctrine can benefit our walk with Christ. And so, um, for the people making the tape, the uh, title is the, benefit of God's, the Benefits of God's Sovereignty. Interestingly, Bill preached on this uh, topic um, exactly five years ago on this Sunday in September. Um, he began a two-part series uh, on the omnipotence and the sovereignty of God. Uh, Kwong, this sounds like I'm getting a lot. Uh, if you could turn it down just a bit, thank you. Let's have a prayer together, okay? Father, we thank you so much for the reality of being in Christ and um, just the joy of digging into your word. I want to pray this morning that our hearts would be good soil, that um, you, as the master farmer, would plow the soil of our hearts, and that on a new and deeper level, we might be able to appreciate your rule and your reign over all the universe. So we ask for hearts that are soft, we ask for ears to hear, and we ask for hands that will grab hold of the plow ourselves. We thank you, Lord, and commit this time in your word through your wonderful Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. To be sovereign, in a simple definition of sovereign, means to have supreme rule or power or authority within a sphere. If you went to the dictionary and looked up the word sovereign, you would come across um, definitions along these lines. But the sovereignty of God is much bigger than that. It means that God is the absolute creator of the universe. He's the absolute owner of all that he has created. He is the sustainer of all that is, both material and immaterial. He is the absolute ruler over nations and the affairs, not of just man, but of each man, woman, and child. And uh, one beautiful thing about his sovereignty is that he is absolutely free to do whatever he pleases. But his absolute rule is based on three supporting attributes. One is his infinite power. Another is his infinite wisdom. And a third is his divine love. So all three of those attributes serve as legs on a stool, if you will, supporting his sovereignty. In this way, he is completely congruent in himself. There's never any um, conflict 
within himself as there often is with us because of our sinful nature, I'd like you to consider that we are never, this side of heaven, really free uh, because we, 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 we are in conflict with ourselves often. But God is completely free to do absolutely as he pleases. His sovereignty is always exercised for two reasons. One is to bring himself glory, and the other is for our good. Again, those two things are not in competition with God, but in absolute congruence. We sang about his sovereignty this morning, didn't we? Especially the song, uh, Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with what? Wisdom, power, and love, the three stools, uh, three legs of the stool, if you will. Our God is an awesome God. How many of you will agree with me that we need a bigger view of God? We, in our day, we need a bigger view of God. There's an English preacher, John Daniel Jones. He wrote in the 1800s, the value of a religion depends on the truth and sufficiency of its idea of God. If we start with a little God, he says, we shall have a little peddling religion, utterly insufficient to meet the greater wants and needs of man. We must start with a great idea of God, and perhaps that is what we need for revival, he says, an enlarged conception of God. Our doubts and timidities and despairs arise from the fact that we have made him altogether too much like ourselves. But our God is a great God and a great king above all gods. The Lord reigneth, he says. That is our confidence. We need a vision of the sovereign Lord. We have lingered too long among the gentleness of God. We need today a bracing vision of his majesty and power. Let's take a look at a few scriptures that uh, flesh out this great doctrine, the sovereignty of God. First of all, his absolute ownership. There's a beautiful passage in Psalm 50, starting in verse 10 and going through verse 12. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. Imagine that. He knows every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine, he says. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. His absolute ownership. Another verse, and this is actually the verse... Um, that sparked a sense in my, my heart that I should preach on God's sovereignty is Psalm 115, verse 3. It says this, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. His absolute freedom to do as he pleases. His creating and sustaining power, I think the best verse or one of the best that I think of is Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. That's the part that speaks about creation. But then this verse about his sustaining power, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Sometimes we wonder if God has absolute power over the affairs of men. One verse that's often used to talk about the fact that God indeed does have rulership over the affairs of men is Daniel 4, verse 34 and 35. This comes out of the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures for generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? One of the beautiful things about God's sovereignty is also his attention to detail and the fact that no, nothing is so insignificant that it escapes his notice. Matthew 10, 28 and 29 says this. Excuse me, 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. And then on the opposite end of that continuum is the fact that no event is so big that it's outside of God's control. For example, John 19, 10 and 11, we read about Christ standing before Pilate. Pilate says to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. So there's no circumstance so insignificant as to escape his notice, and there's no circumstance so big he can't control it. Isn't it God's sovereignty an amazing thing? As most of you know, I love to go canoeing up in Canada. And uh, for those of you that don't know, there's a huge one million acre park up there of just lakes and wilderness. No roads, no phones, no buildings, um, just wilderness. And so since I was a little boy, I've been going up there uh, for a week or two at a time. You put everything that you need in these big packs called Duluth packs, and uh, you're in a canoe, and you're on your own. Um, one year with my family and, and um, my now son-in-law, Stuart Davis, we were sitting around the fire, and I was asking the group, why is it we love to come up here? Because it's a lot of work, and sometimes you're very uncomfortable. Uh, is it to enjoy creation? Is it to test ourselves? Is it to share an adventure? 
And uh, this particular year, my son-in-law, Stuart, said, I think it's the solitude. And um, that answer, that particular year, really satisfied me. But I think I've um, hopefully progressed to um, an even better answer to that question. And the answer is, in the wilderness, for me anyway, it's easier to touch God's sovereignty. It's easier to see his sovereignty. For example, on a trip this summer with Nathaniel and his friends, we were camped below a, a, a very broad waterfall. Uh, we were out on this point, and we were out talking and fellowshipping till about midnight, and then Matt Kirkendall and I, we went to, off, to, off to bed, and I don't know, maybe half an hour later, all the boys were yelling at, at Matt and me, get up and come out here. Get up right now. And so we got up and we went out there. And there, dancing across the sky, were the northern lights. And we were just filled with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. A few days later, we went down this bay we'd never been down before called Kawa Bay. Uh, at, the, at the end of this bay is, uh, was an old Indian, um, Ojibwa Indian settlement. And so we wanted to see that. So we, we paddled down there to see what we could see. On the way back, Nathaniel and I were alone. Uh, the others had gone ahead, and we were fishing down a shoreline. We were staying very close to the shore, probably within 6 to 10 feet of the shore, as you often do up there. And um, at one particular spot, it was quite hot and still, and at one particular spot, we, we heard something, and we looked up, and we saw a bald eagle landing in a tree right above us, probably 30 to 40 feet up in the tree. And just then, I caught a fish, and um, I was reeling it in, and underneath the water was a submerged tree that the, the line got caught up in. And so for the next five or ten minutes, we were busy trying to free that fish uh, without breaking the line and, and losing the fish. Finally, when we got the fish in the boat, uh, it was dead. And so we, we just threw it out of the, out of the boat, and then uh, we, <laughs> we, we not only heard his wings, but we felt the air of, of this eagle's wings. An eagle's wingspan, I looked it up, can, can be up to eight feet across. And this, this eagle was big. And um, it was one of those moments where the hair on your arm stands up. He was probably within 10 feet of the canoe. And you could feel that air and hear the And he plucked that uh, fish out of the water, and slowly circled up and took off. The beauty and the sovereignty of God. I'll never forget that moment. And then there are the storms, so fierce and terrible at times. Uh, I've been in storms up there where the wind has been so strong that the tent poles have bowed down, fiberglass poles, bent down to our faces and then snapped. Um, 
One, night, one time we were out on a huge lake in a big storm, or a storm was coming, I should say, but the wind, we were fighting the wind. Laura and Hannah and I were in one canoe, and uh, we were paddling with all our might, trying to keep the center of the canoe into the wind, uh, but the wind caught it and turned us, and over we went. And so there we were with the storm rolling in, in uh, just drifting. You can't really fix yourself uh, in the middle of a lake um, in that position. At least we don't know how. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. I want to look at five benefits of being in touch with God's sovereignty as we go through life. Um, And these benefits are not the type of benefits of what's in it for me, but the benefits of improving our walk with Christ. That's what I'm interested in highlighting this morning. Number one, I think having an awesome view of God's sovereignty helps us in our worship. It helps us in our worship. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. Amen? It's not about us, but it's about Him. Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life starts his book with this, these four words, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. Back to Psalm 115. It starts out, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth, why should the nations say, where now is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. Hands, but they cannot feel. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. But you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children, May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. You know, I long for more of a manifest presence of the Lord in our services. And I know many of you do as well.
But the bottom line is, I come to worship the Lord, whether I feel his presence or not, whether I'm aware that he's working miracles or not. Most Sundays I pray that he walks these aisles and touches us and sets us free, whether it's emotional or physical or financial or relational. We're praying that God, through Christ, will walk these aisles and touch and heal and bless. And I'm looking forward to the day when there are spontaneous miracles where someone just shrieks because they've been touched by the living God unexpectedly. And yet, that's not why I come. I come to simply worship God because of who He is. He is God. King of the universe, He alone deserves my praise. His sovereignty can aid us in our worship. Secondly, his sovereignty can comfort us in our afflictions. It's comforting that he is king over the smallest of details. Every bird of the mountain, every creature of the field, every sparrow that falls, every hair of your head. Jerry Bridges writes in his book, Trusting God, nothing is too small or trivial to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. Nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to control it. The insignificant sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his will. The mighty Roman Empire cannot crucify Jesus Christ unless that power is given to it by God. And what is true for the sparrow and for Jesus is true for you and me. No detail of our lives is too insignificant for our Heavenly Father's attention. No circumstance so big, He cannot control it. Isn't that comforting? He is King also over our sufferings and our adversity. I know some of you have had tragedy hit so hard that you cannot see one shred of good, one tidbit of purpose, one iota of justice. But I say, let's tie ourselves to the strong mast of God's Word rather than the flimsy plank of our own emotions. Let us tie ourselves to this truth that God is in control, that His wisdom is infinite, and His love is divine. There's an author named Mary Clarkson. She writes in a book, I think a beautiful title to this book, it's uh, Grace Grows Best in Winter. And she writes this, the sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to him, and evil cannot touch his children unless he permits it. God is the Lord of human history and of the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. Charles Hodge, the theologian, adds to this. He says, we rejoice that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, that neither fate nor chance, nor the folly of man, nor the malice of Satan 
controls the sequence of events and all their issues. King David knew a lot of trouble, didn't he? A lot of trouble in his life. And yet listen to this childlike prayer that issues from his heart in Psalm 138. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me and thy right hand will save me. And this line, this line for some reason touched me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Isn't that a beautiful line? Just so simple and childlike. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. Because your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. That word loving kindness, I believe, is the word hesed in uh, Hebrew. I may not be pronouncing that right, but the meaning is rich, and it means loyal love. That God's love for you is loyal. His love for you is loyal. He will never leave you or forsake you. Just one more point along these lines is to ask the question, how close is God to you? How close is God to you when you suffer? How deep is his love for you? When I'm needing to be refreshed with the knowledge that God is intimately close with me, I turn to Psalm 139. Let me read just a few verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. And then down in verse 13, he says, You formed my inward parts. You weaved me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. In thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me. Yet as yet there was not one of them. His sovereignty can comfort us in all our afflictions. Third, I want to just make a comment about his sovereignty reminds us of the enemy's limitations. You may have noticed here at TCF, we don't, we don't talk a whole lot about the devil. We kind of see him as a, in a play like a bit player who wants a bigger role, but he just doesn't quite measure up to deserving one. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. 
He's not everywhere present. These attributes belong to God alone. Many Christians think the devil can read your mind. That's not true. All he knows is that you're a human being and he can lead and entice you in ways that we're susceptible to. And so he has his schemes and we don't underestimate him or think he doesn't exist or downplay the power that he does have. But we know that his schemes are predictable and as mature saints we know what they are. If the enemy is speaking to you, guess what? He's lying. You don't need to know much more than that. We don't need to marvel or be afraid that the enemy is speaking to us. Because guess what? He's a liar. That's what he does. Anything that issues forth from his mouth is a lie. And so sometimes he'll mix truth with it to confuse us, but underneath it all is a lie. I like the attitude of the Apostle Paul as he winds out the book of Romans. He says, I am rejoicing over you, Romans, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And then he says this powerful line, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. I don't know how many of you remember, but years ago we had basic up here singing a song based on those two verses. Um, it was a lot of fun. God's sovereignty reminds us that the enemy's power is limited. We don't have to be afraid. Fourth, the sovereignty of God fortifies us when we are called upon to pray in faith. You know, when I'm praying for someone for healing or for deliverance, I, it, it helps me to think about the sovereignty of God rather than to stress about how strong my faith is at that moment. Let me say that again. You know, when I'm praying for someone, it helps me to think about God's sovereignty rather than to be thinking about the uh, stressing about, is my faith strong enough for this right now? If God is God, he is fully able. Amen? If God is God, he is fully able. If God is all-powerful, then he is fully able. If God is God, then he's hearing my request as I pray to him. If God is love, then he is willing to do what I'm asking him to do. And if God is God, he will do it unless his wisdom limits him for a moment. I don't like that word limits because it takes away from the sense of his freedom to choose. But if he knows in his wisdom that it's better to wait, that's the only thing that might cause a delay. It leaves me in a place where I have nothing to prove. It's not about my faith. It's about the character of God and his sovereign rule in the world. Amen. Resting in that absolute power, that love and the wisdom of God allows me to access what, what, what Jesus said to access, which is that childlike faith of just believing that I have a great and powerful dad who will take care of it. He'll take care of it. The sovereignty of God 
fortifies praying in faith. And finally, the sovereignty of God gives us confidence in the midst of a crumbling world. How many of you um, are or have, in a season in your life, been caught up, you've become like a news junkie. You've been caught up watching hours of political TV shows and listening to hours of talk radio. Uh, Anybody want to admit to that? Um, I, I was there a while back, and here's what happened to me. You know, At first, I was interested. Um, I wanted to know. It was a legitimate desire to know what was going on in the world and who did what and who was who. And um, but after a while, as in my opinion, the news started getting worse and worse. uh, I began. I realized that there was this kind of subtle lie creeping into me, which was that if I just watched enough or just knew enough, or just, um, you know, just was well enough informed, somehow it would right the universe. Somehow it would, the news would get better. And, and so it was my duty to just watch and watch and watch. And um, yet, obviously that's not the case. But let me... Look at Psalm 2 with you. This is a powerful verse, and we're winding up here. Psalm 2 says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. I I interpret this verse to mean the the leaders of the world are saying, I will not submit to God's sovereignty. I want to cast his cords, his chains, his boundaries off of me. And in this context, it seems they are saying it to each other. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Then skipping down to verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling Kiss his feet, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. The sovereignty of God can give us confidence in the midst of a crumbling world. We can kiss his feet this morning by acknowledging in our hearts his absolute sovereignty. I want to ask you to ponder this question as we close. Have you, with trembling, kissed the feet of the one and only sovereign Lord? Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, really. 
and you would like to today. You can kiss His feet as the Sovereign Lord by in your heart surrendering your entire life for the rest of your life to this great and only King. If you've already surrendered your life to Him, if you've already kissed His feet, perhaps you'd like to pledge to continue to honor Him with all your being, with all your worship, with all your life. You just want to make a statement, God, I am yours. I am your slave, your son, your daughter. I belong to you. I'm going to pray, and I just want to invite you, if those sentiments are in your heart, would you just raise your hand to the Lord while I pray as a gesture of surrender. Don't be bashful. Just raise your hand to the Lord while we acknowledge Him as sovereign Father, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you are the creator, the sustainer, the absolute owner, the ruler of the affairs of men, ruler over the nations. No circumstance is too small. No event of history is too great for your control. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are Lord. You are sovereign king over all. We acknowledge you as just that omnipotent and loving king and the only immortal, invisible, and all-wise God. Help us to remember your sovereignty, Lord, as we walk through our days, we walk through our hours. Lord, help us to have it in mind as we come to worship you. May we not be lazy worshipers. May we not be lazy Christians. Father, may we do your will and not just be satisfied to know your will. Lord, may we remember your sovereignty when we're afflicted, when we are attacked by the enemy, when we are praying for others, when we're overwhelmed with this crumbling world. Help us, Lord, to trust in your kingship that you are all-powerful, you are all-wise, and you are all-loving. May we come before you, indeed we do come before you this morning rejoicing but trembling and wishing, Lord, to kiss your feet and honor you, do homage to the King and take refuge in you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Let's say it together. Amen.